It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Did you know that every child of God who is in covenant with the creator of the universe is referred to in Scripture as a prisoner of hope? Now, I know that sounds a little negative, but as we work our way through this revelation, you're going to find out it is very powerful and very positive. And uh, let's explore it by beginning with Paul. Quite often in the epistles, Paul refers to himself with this terminology. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he calls himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And then also in Philemon chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 9, he refers to himself the same way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. He did not say the Romans prisoner. He did not say the Jewish authorities prisoner. He referred to himself as the Lord's prisoner. And then he asked them, share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Why would Paul refer to himself that way? Because the reason he was imprisoned was the very fact that he placed himself in a vulnerable position by the will of God. God spoke to his heart. God led him that direction because God knew he would be able to present the gospel to high authorities in the Roman government that may have never heard it any other way. So it was all part of a pattern and a plan that was divinely ordained. What God leads us into is not always something that looks enticing or enjoyable on the surface, but there's a deep still current of the purpose of God underlying all the tumultuous events of our lives, if we are yielded to the Lordship of Jesus. Let me give you the scriptures where Paul talked about his foreknowledge of having to face imprisonment. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, he said, And now, behold, I am going bound by the Spirit, capital letter S, I'm going bound by the Spirit, to Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city saying that bonds and affliction await me. Different prophets would prophesy to him such a thing, and he knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he'd end up incarcerated. And yet, he said, I was bound by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Another version of that same scripture, the New King James Version, says, Now I go bound in the Spirit, small letter S, to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains 
and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me. I love that scripture. None of these things move me. Child of God, you should have the same mindset, the same attitude, that if the will of God has led you a certain direction, and there have been battles and trials and satanic opposition and deception and betrayal or whatever you faced, dare to say, none of these things move me because the will of God will never lead you where the power of God will not keep you and the purpose of God will not use you. If the will of God leads you there, God will keep you and God will use you in the midst of it all. And I believe Paul was talking about his regenerated spirit, feeling the witness of the Holy Spirit, a compulsion, an inward compulsion, that that was the perfect will of God for his life. Because he was bound by the Spirit, he was bound in his spirit. He was bound to fulfill the will of God because of love, his love for God, his love for truth, his love for a harmonious relationship with the Lord. See, in another passage of Scripture, Paul said, the love of God constrains us. And that's true for all of us, because if we really love God enough to say no to our own will and to the world and to all the allurements and enticements, and even the small things that want to woo us away from a completely yielded state of mind and heart with him. It, it's the love of God that compels us, not a, a sense of being duty-bound because of religion or fear of reprisal or fear of the consequences of rebellion. That's not what binds me to a passionate desire for the perfect will of God. It's the love of God. That's what held Jesus to the cross. It wasn't nails that held him to the cross. It was loving the Father with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving his neighbor as himself. Those two love commandments created a cross, and the same is true with every one of us. Prisoners of the Lord. How often the will of God leads us into situations that are problematic or even painful, and yet we know God spoke to us. God spoke to us. And if God wills that we face it, God will give us grace to overcome it. And in the midst of it all, there is many, I started to say there is a lesson to be learned, but there are many lessons to be learned. In 2 Timothy 2.9, Paul said concerning his incarceration, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. Another translation says, even to the point of bonds. But he said, the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not chained. Well, in like manner, we may go through times of emotional and mental bondage, but the word, the calling, the anointing in us is not bound. We go through what seems like a temporary assault on our lives, but God's in control and God's always on the throne. God was on the throne when the flood enveloped the entire world. In fact, in Psalm 29, it says the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. 
And when the enemy comes in like a flood in your life, and when you walk right into it, knowing that God's led you that direction, God's still on the throne, and the God that brought Noah out will bring you out. Now, Paul is not the only one who fulfilled this calling to be the prisoner of the Lord. And he also called himself an ambassador in bonds or an ambassador in chains. And in a way, that's applicable to all of us too. The bond of the perfect will of God in your life, yes, it may have changed you to a certain thing that was not always pleasing and sometimes painful, but it was also an opportunity to be an ambassador, a representative, because in the midst of your pain was the pleasure of knowing you're fulfilling the purpose and you're an ambassador of heaven in the process. Praise God. Now, Paul's not the only one that is a prisoner or has the status of being a prisoner. Every human being in the world, saved and unsaved, on one foundational level, is a prisoner. A prisoner of flesh and bones, a prisoner of time, a prisoner of a fallen state, a prisoner of a world that is covered over, blanketed with curses, the curse of death, the curse of satanic control, the curse of separation from God. All these things we're born into, we didn't ask for this vacation. We didn't sign up for it before we came into our mother's womb. It was something we were subjected to. The creature was made subject to vanity, uselessness, futility, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. See, God has a hope. And in a little bit, we're going to find out that that word hope is tagged to the word prisoner in a very important scripture. And God has a hope that while we're here, the lessons that we learn are going to benefit us for all eternity. So the positive outweighs the negative. But let me take you to the passage that shows every human being, to a certain degree, is labeled this way. Lamentation chapter 3, verses 33 and 34, says that God does not afflict from his heart, nor grieve the sons of men, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth. So if there's crushing things here, who's doing that? The oppressor is not God. The oppressor is the devil who has brought this world into its state of delusion and deception and destruction. He's the destroyer, not the God that makes all things beautiful in his time. It grieves God's heart. He doesn't create a world that he intentionally grieves people's hearts with. The reason for that is sourced in something totally different. He does not afflict from his heart nor grieve the sons of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth. There was a time in my life and your life where we were just prisoners of the earth. And we really felt imprisoned here a lot of times. Why? Am I facing this? Why am I going through this? Would be the cry of our heart. But then we became children of God and thought, well, my imprisonment is over. No, you just switch prisons. And the one you're in now 
It's a lot better living conditions, I guarantee you. Because Psalm 69 narrows it down. Verses 32 and 33. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. You who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. See, out of the whole world, there are those choice individuals who get a revelation of God that comes with it, not only blessings, but commandments. And so we are beneficiaries of the blessings, but we are burdened with the commandments because the love of God constrains us to live up to those commandments. So we become his prisoners. But the Lord does not despise his prisoners. He brought us into this journey because he knows we have an ultimate destiny that defies description. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You're learning obedience here. You're learning righteousness here. Those are valuable lessons that will stretch out from time to eternity. The next scripture is the one I wanted to get to, though. It's the most powerful of all the scriptures I have to share on this episode of discover your spiritual identity. And I guarantee you, as you've sought to find out who you are in Christ, you probably never landed on this scripture. Maybe you have, but probably not. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 says, and this is, I've got to back up and tell you, this is a peculiar prophetic word. It's as if the Father is speaking to the Son within the Godhead about the people of God. So it's a prophecy from the Father to the Son that includes something about us. Okay? Zechariah 9, 11 and 12 says, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. There's so much in these two verses right here. First of all, the blood of the covenant was, of course, what Jesus did on the cross. And because of the blood of his covenant, God said, I will set your prisoners free. Those who submit to the authority of Jesus as Lord of their lives. I'm not making my own choices anymore. Jesus, you make my choices. Then you become a prisoner of the will of God, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And God said, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. What is? the waterless pit. It's this world. This is a pit, or to use a modern phrase, this is the pits, man. It's a pit where there's nothing that can satisfy your thirst. The thirst that is within us for communion with God, even when we don't know that's what it is, we feel this inner aching, longing, yearning. It's a thirst, and nothing in the world can satisfy that thirst. No pleasure, no diversion, 
alcohol won't do it, drugs won't do it, immorality won't do it. You can indulge in everything the world offers and come out still thirsty. But Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So he delivers us from the waterless pit. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Verse 12, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare I will restore double to you. What does that mean? You get the double portion if you're a prisoner of hope. If you're truly surrendered to the perfect will of God, you get the double blessing. I will restore double to you. So that means you receive this double portion inheritance or this double blessing of being begotten of the word and born of the spirit. That's part of the double blessing. Because the only way that can happen is if you say yes to the lordship of Jesus. But also, I believe it means life now in this present world. I'm not talking about just physical life. I'm talking about being alive spiritually. I was dead for 19 years walking around. I was one of the living dead or the walking dead, rather. I was dead in my sins and dead in my rebellion against God. But then when Jesus came into my heart, I came alive. I was resurrected. I have life now and life in the world to come. God said he would restore double to me. And that enters into so many different arenas in our lives. But let me show you how it was fulfilled with Paul. And then draw from that into my life and your life. See, Paul knew ahead of time that bonds and imprisonment, that trouble, big trouble, was ahead of him if he went to Jerusalem. But he felt bound in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. So he said yes to God. I have a feeling he could have said, I don't know if I want to do this or not. I'm just going to go over here to um, Corinth or maybe to one of the other cities where I've started a church and stay there for two or three years and watch over the flock. Uh, I'll just uh, take an easier road. And God probably would have allowed that. It's called the permissive will of God. But because he chose the perfect will of God, nothing less, nothing else, nothing but the perfect will of God is what we should seek for. Uh, then he received the double blessing because not only did he fulfill God's will to perfection, but things happened during his incarceration that ended up far more fruitful than he could have ever been if he had not submitted to that purpose. See, four of Paul's epistles are called the prison epistles. They were written while he was incarcerated. And those epistles are Colossians, Ephesians. Uh, one of the uh, personal epistles, Philemon, and another epistle were written while he was in prison. Ephesians is one of the most beautiful 
books and the New Testament, it contains this concept of heaven, heaven, heaven over and over, that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And wow, it's just a an epistle that will give you eagle wings. And yet he wrote it when he probably couldn't get beyond the bars of a jail cell or maybe a home where he was guarded by prison guards. Who knows exactly what the conditions were, but he was constrained within a small space. And yet he wrote something that sets people free. And instead of traveling all around to the different churches, he was stationed there for a while, long enough to write some of the greatest epistles ever written. And Philippians. Philippians is the one that reveals the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the same mind dwell in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Well, that's exactly what Paul did. He took upon himself the form, not only of a servant, but a prisoner. No wonder he called himself a prisoner of the Lord, but he was a prisoner of hope because God had a hope that while he was in prison, good would be accomplished, just like with Joseph. Good was accomplished, tremendous good, out of something that looked like there was no goodness attached to it. I have learned that God's way is the best way. When I was first saved, I felt compelled, I felt impressed not to even consider marriage. In fact, I made a covenant with God. I made an agreement with God that I would not date and I would not even consider marriage until he told me who to marry and when to marry. And by the time I was 39, I was wondering if God had forgotten our original agreement, you know. But then he spoke to me audibly that Elizabeth was to be my wife. I didn't know he had spoken to her seven years prior to that, and she never mentioned it. And then when I mentioned to her what God had spoken to me, she said, I've known that for seven years. Praise God. I found out when I waited that lengthy period of time, yeah, I was a prisoner of the will of God, unable to live what other people would have considered a normal life uh, of being married in my 20s and my 30s, But I found out that God reserves the best for those who leave the choice to him. And I got a double blessing. I got the best possible wife I could have gotten. And she's smiling just a few feet away. And also the 20 years that I waited on her, I was totally involved in mission work, overseas work, evangelism all around the country. And, and, We had children later on, and so we did not have that responsibility of children right away. And and so it, it all worked together for good. The will of God will cause all things to work together for good. So let me finish off with the last couple of thoughts out of Zechariah 9, 11, and 12. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, the Father says to the Son, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. For today I declare that I will restore double to you. A stronghold is a place of preservation. It's a place of protection. And it's a place of defense. When you retreat to a stronghold, 
It's a place of safety from which you can defend yourself against an attacking enemy. When you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you enter a stronghold. And there's a lot of stuff in this world that's attacking the body of Christ right now. But in all of these things, we are not moved. Just like Paul said, none of these things move us. So what if the new world order is hovering on the horizon? So what if the World Economic Forum uh, declares over the internet on their website that by the year 2030, we'll own nothing and be happy about it, installing communism globally and trying to make it appealing? Yeah, there's all kinds of dark things brewing on the horizon, but I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And so none of these things move me because I know we win at the end. In fact, darkness will cover the earth, gross darkness will cover the people, but he said his glory will be seen on you. Hallelujah. Arise and shine for your light has come. So that's the revelation. It's a revelation maybe different than anything you've ever heard before, but something very much out of the word of God. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.